Hi, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, and this is 112BK coming at you from downtown Brooklyn. On the show today, the crew is back. Did you miss us? We're going to talk about Chinese food scandals, trolling, and romance scammers. It's weird or like ironic, I guess, like how you have to be sort of an empathy monster to um, successfully scam someone because you really just have to like get into their psychology and totally. against that. The 112 BK crew is back, and we have a women of color bench so deep that some new members are rotating in today. We welcome Sasha Mathias and Andy Milliares, and Mira Al Rahim is joining us again to talk about a new clean Chinese cuisine restaurant, a little bit of trolling, and then we'll tease an upcoming episode with journalist and author Abby Ellen, who recently wrote a book called Duped. We're going to talk about getting scammed. Uh, welcome, you guys. So the thing that has been consuming my life of late is that a new restaurant opened up to South of Union Square called Lucky Lee's. Um, I wrote about it for Munchies. What Lucky Lee's is all about is that it's owned by a white woman and the whole branding is around it being a clean Chinese restaurant. And that means, clean to her means, that it's gluten-free, it's dairy-free, it's peanut-free, it's MSG-free. And in her branding, she's really positioning it in opposition to normal Chinese restaurants that leave you feeling, quote, bloated and icky. So I'm wondering if you guys have had um, similar experiences with, let's say, um, with insensitive cultural appropriation of your own home cuisines. Can we talk about instances of cultural conflation of cuisines as opposed to appropriation? I know that I have a particularly big problem with restaurants that dub themselves as like Mediterranean cuisine. I, I really like can't I, I can't stand it. I mean, there's such like diversity in in cuisines of regions like bordering the Mediterranean that when I see like a feta salad on the same menu as a tabbouleh, I just like can't even bear to walk in. It's so lazy to me. Right. And see, that's something that like not being from the Mediterranean, right. I would have no idea that that's inauthentic. And to me, what bothered me about this restaurant is not that it's inauthentic. I think it's actually totally fine to open up an inauthentic Chinese restaurant. Mm. I think that it's fine to open up like a gluten free Chinese restaurant. What really bothered me was the branding where she was mm. suggesting that there weren't that Chinese cuisine was inherently unhealthy. Um, like one of the one of the Instagram posts that she put up was somebody named Ashley C. We don't know her race, but um, <laughs> Ashley C. Who was like, uh, finally, I was telling my husband, I wish there were a healthy Chinese restaurant. And the idea that there's not a healthy Chinese restaurant in New York City, which has a population of half a million Chinese right, people, right. is just like totally ludicrous to me. Right. Also, like. So much Chinese food is like dairy free and vegetable based. Like to me, Chinese food is a pretty baseline of like cleanish and healthy anyway. Um, that this Lucky Lee's thing is just totally absurd. Totally. Yeah. Like she wrote on her personal blog, she was like, the problem with Chinese food is that there's so much um, soy, MSG, and processed butter. And I was like, Right. You don't do dairy. There's no dairy in Chinese cuisine, so I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about. Right. Well, this MSG stuff to me is like total nonsense because like no one ever seems to recognize the fact that like MSG is like a naturally occurring compound. You find it in tomatoes. You find it in Preach, steak. Mira. And it doesn't make you sick. I remember there used to be this like terrible. I'm not gonna name names here, but this terrible white person that I went to college with who constantly got like quote unquote MSG poisoning, and she'd be totally incapacitated is that the word I want for the whole day after having Chinese food and she'd be like sitting on her couch like 
oh, I just, I think I have MSG poisoning. And I'm like, this is insane. Sure, it was, yeah. it, it's racist. It's, it looks so stupid. Like it, yeah. I, I also thought it was like a really unforgivable thing that she kept on doing as well. Like she'd always refer back yeah. to her MSG well, poisoning. It's a thing that was called Chinese restaurant syndrome. And this was actually initially posited by a Chinese person um, saying, oh, you know, a lot of people say that after they eat at American Chinese restaurants, they have headaches, they feel dehydrated. Is it MSG? And this created a whole wave of scientific experiments where I believe the ones that are most often quoted, a scientist injected mice um, below the skin with MSG and they got cancer. And I'm like... (laughs) Well, I guess Done. if you, yeah. Closed, yeah. <laughs> and it was like it was like a dosage for horses as well. Yeah. Like I guess if I were to mainline MSG right. in a dosage meant for a horse, and I were like, a mouse, exactly. I would also like, die, probably. Who knows what would happen? Just so absurd. And yes, MSG is like totally safe. Um, do you guys' cultures use MSG in their cuisine oh, as well? All, all the time. I think like Filipino food is extremely. I think people think of it as extremely unhealthy because it is salty. But it's kind of the same as if you would like eat a bunch of hot dogs or like eat a ton of pizza. It, you would feel gross probably right. and you'd probably be on the couch. And I think people have this association with Chinese food where it's like, I'm going to order it and like have like a pig out night or like have like a, like a night where I'm like watching a movie. And like, of course, you feel sick after that. And I, I think also for Filipino food or things I've seen people say Whereas there's this weird lack of moral relativism for Filipino food. There's this um, famous food and street food in the Philippines called balut, which is like oh, yeah. it's a it's a fetal egg and you eat the whole thing. Like I've you eat had it all it. at once. It's delicious. It's really good. I don't eat any meat anymore nowadays, but um, back when I did, it was really good. And like I've had friends who have said things like, "I just like can't get past the." the fetus like it just weirds me out who I know eat chicken who I know eat like pork and stuff eat lamb lamb is just a baby sheep you guys yeah yeah and so I think it's in addition to this like idea of like it's unhealthy it's all all sort of like there's a huge lack of moral relativism absolutely and I mean I think the MSG thing too is because there was this huge backlash and everyone was like Chinese restaurant syndrome Chinese restaurant syndrome a lot of Chinese (laughs) restaurants did say we're not going to use MSG and my my family yeah. has a Chinese restaurant in San Francisco. It's sort of like a, a San Francisco institution. And they never used MSG because they didn't grow up cooking with MSG. Right. Mm-hmm. Not because it's not a part of Chinese cuisine. It can be. Mm-hmm. But because they were poor. They like yeah. lived in the country. Right. And I was like, oh, well, like, could you afford MSG? They were like, we couldn't afford soy sauce. We couldn't right. afford sugar. We ate yeah. meat once a year on Chinese New Year. My cousin said that on birthdays, the birthday kid got an egg. And the other egg was split by the entire family and the parents. And I was like, "That's incredible. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard." <laughs> um, so, you know, when my when they came to the United States and opened up a Chinese restaurant, there wasn't MSG in their cooking, but they had to advertise it so vociferously. There was like a neon sign that was like, "No MSG." Right. Yeah, my family doesn't um, cook with MSG, but my mom's side of the family is black and. So we grew up with like soul food and they're Southern black. And there has like certainly in the last decade, especially in New York, been this like new American push that incorporates a lot of soul food traditions that like people would disparage black people for eating like unhealthily like fried chicken. And I mean, I don't need to (laughs) belabor that. 
But like if you go to certain restaurants in Williamsburg and pay like a certain amount of money for fried chicken, it's fine. But if you're like getting it from your grandmother's kitchen, it's not fine. And like there's Mm -hmm. that same sort of moralistic, um, like you shouldn't be doing this, but like when I do it, you can be. Um, well, I want to ask you guys more. about this word clean, too, because clean appeared in all of the advertising for Lucky Lee's. And what they're saying in their non-apology apologies is, whoa, like clean is being taken out of context. We didn't mean clean as the opposite of dirty. We meant clean uh, <laughs> by you know, gluten-free, dairy-free. Right. Like, you know, it's this word that has been co-opted by the wellness community. And what I would say to that is when you think about clean food, and I'm using that again in a wellness context, mm-hmm. like you don't think about ethnic food. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like it's like it's saying that no ethnic food can be clean by which they mean healthy, right? Like right. and that and that if you want to eat Chinese food or eat Indian food or eat soul food, like it has to be cleaned up in some way, mm-hmm. suggesting that it inherently is unhealthy, which is just so dismissive of non-white cultures. I don't know. Do you guys have friends who use the word clean and what do you presume they mean by it? Or what does clean mean to you? I use that word. You sometimes. do? What is, no, so what does it mean to you? So when I think about clean, it's it's complicated, right? Because I think I use that word, but I like to think that I don't peddle in that kind of um, the racism that it implies when some people use it to talk about like certain situations. So for example, if I'm having like a grain bowl with roasted vegetables and like a nice green goddess dressing that I made I'll be like "Mm, I'm eating like a really clean meal today so it's I feel like it just it really depends on the context in which you're using this word but I have definitely like used that word to describe so you use it interchangeably with healthy I guess I don't disagree because I do I do understand that clean has become a code word Mm -hmm. for healthy I accept that um but I do think that language matters and that we should examine a little bit more like why are we using that word and Mm. what does that suggest about the type of cuisine that we view as clean Mm -hmm. and yes dirty is the opposite of clean right like i think when i say it i just mean like like things without sauces like things that don't leave a residual mass or like take a lot of fat to cook like like raw vegetables um, and like lean meats, which do fall under that umbrella. None of this like, sounds delicious. Right, it's gross. <laughs> but like that's what I, when I'm like, I'm like, eating clean. It's yeah, like yeah. I'm starving. I'm, I'm unsatisfied. Yeah. Right. This is horrific. Yeah. But like that's when I say it. Right. So um, maybe we'll transition into our second topic, which is trolling. And this stems from the first topic because so I, I wrote this piece for Munchies. But before that, I put up three tweets, which I actually think were like quite fair and balanced. In that I said, I have no problem with somebody mm-hmm. opening up like a macrobiotic Chinese restaurant, but there's no need to drag an entire culture right. in doing so. And it got my tweets got posted on some right-wing blog. The title was something like, Fragile SJWs Go After White Young Mother. Wow. Okay. So, a fragile one. So, yeah. Thank you. So you know the type of people who are, like, coming after me, right? right. right. And all of a sudden, I just got all of these terrible, venomous responses to my tweet. Um, Some of them included racial epithets. I got an email to my personal Gmail account that told me that I should go die, like, et cetera. I think it called me a thin porn skank. People are Uh, fucking crazy. (laughs) Anyway, the vitriol with which people, my favorite ones were actually the tweets that were like, don't you have anything better to do? It's like, don't you? What? You're the troll, dude. Um, Have you guys, have any of you ever experienced trolling firsthand online? 
No, but of course I've like peripheral like th- through other people who I've known who have been like seriously like bullied, like cyberbullied because of content that they put out there. It sounds really terrifying, and I have nothing but like the utmost respect for people that like grit their teeth and bear through it because like I can't imagine what it's like to. I mean, it's one thing on a public platform like Twitter, but then like and it's not great. I'm not justifying it because it's on Twitter, but then to like, enter your personal email account. And drop. I mean, I don't know. Is that scary for you? As someone who goes through it? It's a good question. It definitely, I wouldn't say that, like, I fear for my life, but it totally activates you in a way, mm-hmm. right? Like, this person, the one who emailed me, also made reference to um, some of my Instagram photos. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, look, like, mm-hmm. I am I am a public person. You know, I'm a freelancer, so you can find my email address. Mm-hmm. My Instagram account is public. And so I am very available to people who want to say terrible things and intimidate me. And I think that this is the balance that we all have to figure out our own personal comfort with living in the internet age. I feel like after reading your article, I don't even think you were saying like white people can't open up this kind of restaurant. No, in fact, I explicitly said white people can open up whatever restaurant they want to if they do it sensitively. Right. So what the hell is the problem then? I mean, it's not as if you're like gatekeeping. Trolls aren't reading. They're not reading. Yeah. And I don't, don't, like, I'm not online enough to have trolls or to ever experience it firsthand, but I am really fascinated by that behavior and what they're trying to get out of it. Like, I did read the replies to your tweet. I was just like astonished and sort of confused about whether or not these were even real people because they were so they were such non sequiturs to the actual thing you were saying, like that it was just nonsense. And like I wonder with trolling if it if it's like equal parts like just trying to engender chaos, but also just like make a person feel bad about something, but also just like amplify a worldview that they believe. And I think that, um, like, different people do it for different reasons. But yeah. that it's, I, I don't know, I just find it so fascinating. I mean, a larger that. question that I have, and maybe, Andy, you can take this, is, like, how much should we engage? Like, there's one school of thought that just, like, don't be the trolls, don't right. be the trolls. But then there, there are people who aren't quite trolls who mm-hmm. definitely are coming at you with a strong opinion, but maybe they are engaging in a more polite way. Like, mm-hmm. I also did a segment recently with MTV News on um, the pay gap, and mm-hmm. that led to a discussion about, like, women in STEM. And all these people were coming at me with, like, yeah, but have you considered this? And none of them were especially rude about it. So it's like, is this an opportunity for me to engage with an individual and try to make a point? Or is it just like, don't respond to any of these people. I have better things to do. I don't know. I feel like it really is a case by case basis. Like for you, I don't, it's kind of up to you how comfortable you feel from the, I, I run the Brick TV YouTube as well as doing other things here. But um, I read like terrible comments on our videos all the time of people, of people saying rude things and just like hateful things. And from the, I'm protected in that way because it's like a channel account. It's like a, it's like where like people don't know me. They don't know it's like me responding or somebody else from my team. So I'm protected in that way. But for you, I, I don't know. I would be scared, I think. But at the same time, I have gotten into some internet arguments. Yeah. Where I have, I found myself. Like what? Like, like what? I, I wouldn't, I guess this is less of an internet argument so much as it is like a, it was like a controlled, I used to work at a restaurant, it's very connected, um, where I had spoken up about one of my coworkers who had said like racist things, who had been like super misogynistic, and it had become this topic of like an, a sort of online, we had like this online forum, and 
he got fired and I was very scared that he, I was going to be like revealed mm. as like the person who was like talking lover. about this. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I was like, I was like, screw this. Like you were in the wrong and like I am not and I shouldn't feel any shame about having like spoken up about this. So I really feel like it's a case by case basis. Mo I have to say I'm like more leaning on the side of like don't stay in the middle of like the rotten tomatoes like because I think a lot of it just does come from a dishonest place where these people aren't trying to engage in an actual conversation about anything and are just trying to like spit vitriol mm -hmm. and bully you into exhaust and like mm -hmm. you feel it from the highest level in this country right now down to like Twitter replies where it's just like throwing as much of a bad thing at people until they're so tired of fighting it that they're just like, okay, whatever, this is where we are now. Yeah. And that's like, yeah, I, again, with your tweet, like definitely felt that it was just people saying things that weren't true or relevant until you're just kind of like, uh, like, I'm not gonna fight all of you, so I'm just not gonna fight this. Right. I, yeah, I just, these people are, monsters and they're bots i don't know they're yeah, a combination of bots yeah. and monsters they were yeah. definitely sure. body definitely. Like, there was, there was definitely definitely yeah yeah um well maybe we will move to our third topic of combos so we have a guest coming in next week she's written a book called duped mm -hmm. and it's the story of her own relationship with a man who turned out to not be who he said he was and then she's an investigative journalist so she writes about other people's stories as well but there was a piece that came out in the cut um about a woman who is now 60 but in in her 50s, she was a widow, and she had an online relationship with somebody who she never met in person. This was over a two-year time period. They were, you know, digitally intimate. Is that an expression that we can use? Yeah, Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> and she gave him, I think, $2 million. Um, and she's speaking out because she's like, look, this is embarrassing, mm -hmm. but this happens all the time and people don't talk about it because it's embarrassing and it afflicts people of a certain age yeah. who may not be digitally natives. Has anyone had something like this happen to, I don't know, maybe a family member since we are talking about kind of an older population or broader question, online dating, have you ever been greeted with someone who did not seem to be who they had presented themselves oh my to God, be? Like a catfish. That's so scary. Yeah. I'm like my literal nightmare that this is going to happen. Oh my, oh my God. So, but it has not happened to you. No, been I've been scammed on the internet, but it hasn't, it hasn't been dating related. I once bought like $400 worth of fake IDs from like China and Romania that never, never got delivered to me. I Western Union. I was like 16 and I Western Union them. And the craziest thing is I got a, I got a, I got a, um, a letter from Western Union like two years ago. This was six years ago at this point or something. I don't know when I was 16. I can't do math. But the fact <laughs> of the matter is I got this letter from Western Union relatively recently being like, like $250 is still unclaimed in Romania. Mm. Like, w if you come with a receipt, you can give back to, of course, at this if point. If you come to Romania with no, the receipt? No, no, if you like, come to, like, the teller with the receipt. Uh, like, the okay. moment you, you can dropped get it off. Back. Of course, I didn't have a receipt. I didn't have anything. And was, so there's just, like, $250 waiting for me in Romania because of an internet scam that I, like, fell into twice on two separate occasions. It's really, Wait, really wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Talk to me I mean, about, we need the to know more about the occasion, the second occasion, Okay, so the first one was, it, it was this website called fakeid.com. Cool. I was like, this seems legitimate. Very good. I'm just picturing you 16 years old being like, hmm, fakeid.com. Oh, this looks very oh legit. No, it's bad. And and so and so if I told you, 
I did that twice on the same website. Would you believe me? On like two separate occasions, I went back to fakeid.com. I yeah. thought something had gone wrong. I literally, guys, there was an no easier way to get a fake ID. Listen, I grew up in. Actually, I was in Switzerland. Um, I was. I went to boarding school. Anyways, so the point was like, no, there actually wasn't necessarily a better way to get this fake ID. But like, I think I had assumed that the first time it went wrong, that that was my fault, and that mm. I just need to do it again and get it right. Right. And then I did um, it. I know, Sasha. No, that's what they're relying on. They're counting on that. I know. So it's easy. It's easy to get duped on the internet. I could yeah. barely finish that story in the cut because it made me so uncomfortable to hear how, like, the drip, drip, drip of her shelling out cash to this man in mm. small quantities at first, getting larger and larger, and my heart breaking because it's exploitation to the umph degree, and it's hard because she's, like, 60. She's widowed. She's a vulnerable person, and mm -hmm. this person is totally just, like, taking the piss, Yeah, you know? And I think that she talks about a turning point where at first he asks her for a small sum and she's like, I don't wanna do this, I don't wanna do this. And then at a certain point she's like, I can't not do this because I've already invested so much. Right. And so if I stop at this point, then I'm admitting that something's wrong. And I think that's something that we hear a lot of, from people who are in abusive relationships where it's like, well, I better keep on throwing yeah. good money after bad or good emotional investment after yeah. bad mm -hmm. because like if this falls apart, then I have to face the fact that I have been I've I've been fooled and all this right. is a all this is a lie. God. But I think that's part of, and I think it's not unrelated to trolling, like mm -hmm. part of being a successful predator is picking the people who are prone to that sort of um, shame and just like honing in on that. And like to, to bring it back to trolls, um, they're very good at like finding a little needly point and like mm -hmm. that's like what makes a good bully is like figuring like it actually requires a tremendous amount of empathy, ironically, to like mm. know that about a person and then weaponize it. Um, again, why you would decide to make that choice is beyond me, but like it's weird or like ironic, I guess, like how you have to be sort of an empathy monster to um, successfully scam someone because you really just have to like get into their psychology and totally. against them. I was talking to um, a comedian who does roasts, and she was like, women are better at roasting than men. And yeah. I was like, why? And she's like, well, men are like, you are so fat, and I don't want to fuck you. <laughs> right. oh. And she's like, women? She's like, I'm going to find that thing mm -hmm. that is so tender in mm -hmm. your heart, and I'm going to press on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> who do you think is better at getting roasted, men or women? I think women. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, men I can't think women are it. generally better at it. Men yeah, are fragile. Yeah. 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 All right. We're biased, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that, I think that's really true about like trying to prey on the weak victim. And that's something that you mm -hmm. see in real life too, right? right? Where it's like, you know, teen teen boys find the vulnerable girl and that's the one who they, you know, they prey on or take down. Right. Also, like finding vulnerable victims. Um, I read something about, you know, the Nigerian print scam mm. where it's like, how is it that we're still getting spam no. about like a Nigerian prince? And that. there's a psychological reason for it, you know, because it's like, well, why wouldn't they come up with a better scam or scams that people haven't heard of? Mm. But the idea is they do a scam that most people have heard of so that the ones who respond are already self-identifying mm. as extremely vulnerable to right. this. Wow.
That's amazing. Wait, wait. Break that down for me just one more step because I don't think I got it. So you would think because there's been so much coverage of the Nigerian Prince scam that they would retire that scam and figure out a new scam that no one has heard of and that more people would then respond. But they don't want more people to respond. They want the people to respond to be a self-selecting group of incredibly vulnerable people who have for some reason still never heard of the Nigerian Prince scam or if they have, think that this one's different. Right. Right. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. But... The only scam I've fallen for in the internet, and it's a different sort of vulnerable group, is I fell for one of those like tech support scams once. Like my laptop broke a number of years ago, um, and so you like Google like Apple help me, mm-hmm. um, and the first thing that comes up is some third party like yeah, give us two hundred dollars and we'll fix your thing, and I like totally ate it. Um, I was so, I'm still mad about it. Did you send your laptop in or? No, it's so, I like don't, this is so embarrassing, but um, you call a number and they like say the word Apple enough that you believe (laughs) that it's actually part of the company Apple. Uh And they're like, okay, like pay this amount of money and we'll like triage the problem, which I did. And then like, they just keep going through this rigmarole um, at the end of which you realize they're totally unrelated to Apple. And you've now given them, like, you have to give them your credit card information for them to, like, engage with the tech support phone call. Mm. I think I was freelancing at the time, and, like, all my, you know, I'm an audio engineer. Like, all of my work was jeopardized. I was like, yes, take whatever money you need to get my computer back on. And it was. And I just want to say about it being embarrassing that that's the reason that people don't share Mm -hmm. stories about scamming or being taken and the woman who wrote who was interviewed in the cut she was like you know this was a deep shameful secret until i think she shared it with a small group of women of her same peer group Mm -hmm. and they were like yeah that happened to me that happened to me that happened to me and so she was like i felt like i had to say something and she went to the palm beach police and the police were like thank you so much for coming forward because actually this happens to men more often than women there are more Mm. men have been scammed by romantic partners for millions of dollars right. than women and the men will never come forward because it is so right. embarrassing. Right. I think it's also kind of about love in our everyday lives or like examples of love we see in the media are also like we we kind of believe that love requires this like sacrifice or if like mm. really serious or if something that you don't like happens with a romantic partner or you even if you feel weird about it it's this thing about like overcoming that or like just like loving this person and I feel like that is also heavily contributing to this like phenomenon of people being taken romantically for lots of money Mm -hmm. I think it's I think it's so normalized even in like people I see who who are like, oh, yeah, that's just like a thing that she does. And it's like annoying, but I deal with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just extremely normalized. Yeah. And like on like a lower scale mm-hmm. that for it to rise to this higher, like bigger scale, it, it makes complete sense to me. That's a really good point. Can we just provide some context for listeners or viewers that may have not read this article? It's the fact that and, uh, stop me if you said this, but the, this woman was like a former like intelligence official in the U.S. Army. Yeah. She had some like lawyer experience and and you'd think that she was the last person to get duped and right she was incredibly smart she was an incredibly smart woman and you'd think she'd had she'd have all the faculties at her disposal to call this out before it gets as bad as like two million dollars but she didn't and i think that's why it's important for somebody like her to speak out and it's like you almost need someone like this woman who worked in intelligence in the military to come forward and say if it could happen to me it definitely is happening to everyone else yeah 
does it make you guys like not want to encourage like let's say you did have like an older relative who's like widowed or divorced like would you would you guys think twice now about like encouraging them to like seek companionship on these online dating sites because like i feel like after reading this article you know if i think about some like older people in my life who've been divorced or or, or widowed and are looking to get back on the wagon like i really think twice if i if i suggested that they go on these things because like i think there is a certain amount of like technological illiteracy mm-hmm. on behalf of like older people and i know that's a generalization but just like bear with me on this no but it's true yeah, and, yeah. and it's a point that it's she totally makes in the valid. article maybe we'll close out with this that she says that there should be responsibility on the part of match.com or whatever yeah. other mm. sites people over 60 are using to say hey this is a common thing that happens and instead of bearing into the fine print that they have no responsibility um doing some education for people who are not digital natives and maybe more vulnerable to this right so what do you think though would you would you recommend that like people in your family or people that you know get I, back on this? I would but I think that there should be more education about it I would yeah. be like sure For check sure. out Christian Mingle or no, yeah. nobody in my family maybe, that, like, I mean I'm terrified about. constantly <laughs> my mom um, is a very very good person who is not like super tech savvy and she's like incredibly generous and charitable and I'm constantly terrified that she's just like sending millions of dollars to people um, or like yeah different websites everyone or, go right. home and educate your elders about yeah. this That's that's the closing thought um, thank you guys so much oh, for joining me to chat. Yes. Great. Um, and see you guys next time. That's the show for today. If you liked what you heard, the best way to show it is to review 112BK on iTunes. And please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. One to bk is hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargi, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hogseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post-produced by Alexander Pointzolo, edited by Mira Al-Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Leaf, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham. 